Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, "What the f are you talking about? You insane Hollywood ass." So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for 3 months plus taxes and fees. Promo for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Ocean Protect podcast. Talking about the issues that face our oceans and what we can do about it. Presented by Ocean Protect. Committed to change. Get ready, very ready for the Oz to roll. Latalo, paralo. <laughs> Welcome to the Ocean Protect Podcast. How are you, Jeremy? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm, look, I hate to say I'm not in lockdown like what 13 million Australians are right now. Mm. So, mate, I'm doing okay. You doing all right up there, Brisbane? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Living, yeah, all, all good. How about you, Latalo? You, you obviously you're in, you're calling from Sydney today. Yeah, from Sydney, and yeah, lockdown is a bit harsh over here, but we're still trying to have fun and escape to the ocean. On every possible yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. And just to give this chat a bit of a backstory, I came across you, Lataro, and maybe we're best if, we, if I call you LP because my pronunciation <laughs> is terrible. But LP, I actually came across you. You appeared in an Instagram video with a guy called Joey Carbstrong. Yeah. And for people who don't know Joey, he's a vegan activist who goes around the planet advocating no for veganism. No one of my mates, Jeremy. You'd be, you'd be familiar with uh, Joey Carbstrong, wouldn't you? Mate, me and him are like brothers. <laughs> <laughs> brothers from another mother. <laughs> and look, what was interesting, like uh, I think uh, Joey was on in Sydney just talking about, I think, various things, but you rocked up to him, LP, and you started telling him about your experiences with salmon farms. Yeah, that was pretty interesting. I was just walking on Circular Key and I just see this guy holding a TV and he says, fish feel pain. I was like, yeah, they do. Yeah. They do. I I know about it plenty because I've seen it and I caused that pain many times. So, but again, it's not it's not a common sight. Like every now and then in CBD of Sydney, you will see people advocating for animals such as cows, pigs, and dogs, and all cattle uh, farm animals. But you never see people talking about the ocean. So I was like, okay, I'm I'm gonna talk to this guy for a little bit. I I wasn't even. I didn't even recognize that it was him. I heard a little bit about him, but I never met him. And I wasn't following him either. You know, it was a coincidence. I was, I was walking there and I saw him. Yep. And it really sparked my interest, to be honest, because I actually, you hear these stories about salmon farms, but I've never actually heard essentially a worker, someone who's actually worked on these salmon farms, talk about them. Are you going to get killed for saying this? <laughs> I hope not. Is, 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 okay, good, good, because we've got a lovely disclaimer at the bottom of the email, and it covers you, I think. <laughs> Maybe. And look, we're just, it's obviously when you invite any guest on a show like ours, you hear from their perspective. And, you know, LP might be, you know, he, he's obviously he's seeing it from his eyes. Someone else 
will have a different perspective. And certainly Salmon Farms, the, the companies themselves will, will sort of talk, you know, various uh, about what they do and, and their initiatives and how they sort of try and minimise harm and, and pollution, et cetera. But it was certainly very interesting from my perspective to hear Lataro talk about just his personal experiences because I, 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 for one, have never heard about them. And we should recognise that I think something like about half of all seafood consumed across the planet is from uh, aquaculture and that probably is growing. So there's certainly a lot of interest in fish and certainly aquaculture is certainly feeding a very large proportion of that and it's probably increasing. And certainly there's a strong appetite for salmon and people often don't know where it comes from. So to hear from uh, Lataro's sort of perspective, I, I thought it was fascinating. Well, well let, let's go back to the backstory. Come yeah. on, Lataro, yeah. how did you get into salmon farming? Yeah, so um, being born in Chile, I wanted to become a commercial diver, but my only way to do so, considering that the course was very expensive, was to get involved into salmon farms. So that's what I did. And for these salmon farms to work, they have to be located in the south of Chile. So I will have to travel five days to go to work most of the time. Over there, there will be these massive cages of 30 by 30, 50 by 50 square meters. And inside of each net that can go all the way down to 36 meters, 50 meters, there will be from 20 to 60,000 salmons on each one of these. Each farm will have 20 to 40 cages. Just, wow. just one of these cages, the, like the, the salmon farm, the salmon production of one of these cages will be enough to pay for the installation of the whole center, of the whole farm, let's say. And this is counting kilometers and kilometers of heavy duty chains and ropes and anchoring systems. And you're talking about months and months of work. It could take like six months to set up a farm, a salmon farm. And this is on a remote location with trained people, very uh, job-specific ships, I mean vessels. All of this is an incredibly costly operation. And the profit where I'm going with this is if you pay everything with one cage, let's say full of salmon, the other 19 to 39 cages are just profit. Mm. So the amount of money that there is in a salmon farm is a lot. It's a lot of money in there to the point that they are able to literally buy politicians back home, politicians that are allowing these little channels of pristine places to be blown up in order to be widened for bigger ships to come in and either install bigger salmon farms or take the fish and, well, all the operation that comes with it. And all of this to, to satisfy the need for salmon that the world has nowadays. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize and, and don't know that even when they eat salmon that is labeled as ocean cod, like, like it's caught in the ocean, like wild cod or something like that, I can't remember the label. Most of the times it will be salmon that is grown in the ocean, but it's grown inside of a pen, inside of a big cage. So it qualifies as wild cod, but it's actually not wild cod, it's farm with all the implications for the environment that this brings. Wow. So yeah, a lot of people will be able to pay a bit more for these types of certification. They exist all over the world. And, and they can have like, it's just like a free range. You know, free range can mean so many different things depending on the country. With salmon, there's also all these certifications. And in the end, they most of the time mean the same. That is that this salmon was grown in the ocean inside of a cage. Wow. Yeah. That's staggering. Well, what's the international ocean? Um, come on, Brad. Yeah, the real funny guy um, that we had a chat with, uh, Dr. Adrian Gutteridge from the Marine Stewardship Council. 
So, Lorato, uh, salmon under the Marine Stewardship Council, are you saying it's going through that? Because that's a really big international... No, this is the thing where Marine Stewardship Council focus... Look, actually, I don't know, because it's a great question, because Marine Stewardship Council, when Adrian was quite clear, I I asked him about aquaculture, and he was like, no, 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 Marine Stewardship Council currently only focuses on wild-caught fish. But it's interesting, what what is these salmon then? Because if they're being labelled as potentially wild-caught, but they're actually grown on a pen, does the Marine Stewardship Council get involved? I think the the direct translation to English is ocean-grown. Ocean grown. Okay. But they say, it's like, okay, it's grown in the ocean, so it's very healthy and so on and so on, but it's actually not because it's grown in the ocean inside of a cage. Can you give some insight as to what that is like for the salmon? Like ocean grown does sound quite nice. What is the conditions like in these pens? Well, you have to think that salmon and any other um, ocean animal, any fish, they move a lot. Okay, they move a lot and most of the time, depending on the species, of course, they can move for uh, long distances, depending on the cycle of their life they have. Like they, they, some species will lay eggs in one beach and then go for long, long trips and then come back to the beach to lay eggs the next year and so on. These salmon inside this farm, they are not able to have then what would be natural behavior for them. So they are very aggressive. They are swimming all day, forever, for a year, for a couple of months, depending on the type of salmon they are growing. A cycle can go from six months, nine months to a year. And it means that these salmon are not able to display natural behavior. So they start attacking each other. So we divers have to dive inside these cages uh, every day. And every day we will find fish that has been attacked by the other fish there, like displaying this cannibalistic, uh, cannibalistic uh, behavior, Jeez. which might happen in, like in the ocean or rivers, but doesn't happen as often as it will ha- happen inside of a cage. So inside of this fence, we collect every day dozens of fish that have been attacked by other fish. And there is also like a lot of fish that is deformed. Just like you have to think about profit. Like it's not profitable to have, let's say, a chicken that takes four years to grow when you can have a chicken Mm. that takes 12 months. In the case of salmon, it may take years to get to the the reproductive uh, age. But in this case, the salmon that is grown in these salmon farms, it takes a year to be ready for for sale. So Mm. for for that fish to grow that fast, they are pumped with hormones. They're absolutely pumped with hormones. And they have a lot of antibiotics as, as well because this unnatural way of living for them makes them prone to get a bunch of infections. And considering that, that they are an introduced species into an environment that don't, they don't belong to, they are also prone to get different types of diseases that come from other species that are around the area. Most of the time, mm-hmm. on, on all the salmon farms that I work, the divers, let's say they were poor people with very, very little education. So we will see salmon as something very uh, luxurious. So we will want to get a fish and eat it in the, in the ship at the end of the day. Because it's like you don't, you don't usually have the money to buy salmon. So now that you can work in here, you can try one. The funny thing is like I never saw a veterinarian or an engineer or anyone who works in the salmon farms eating salmon they will actually advise against it because they knew how much they were putting into the salmon when it comes to antibiotics and medicines and, and hormones. 
they know that it's not healthy to consume, but they sell it. They grow it and sell it. So yeah, that's something that I, I, I guess it will go in the same way in the in the poultry or or in the cattle industry. Like you know that a cow has to take this many years to grow, and you grow them in a much faster cycle, so you can make better profit. Of course, that is not going to be natural. It's going to be full of chemicals that are not good for us or for the animal. So it happens the same way in the salmon farm. So you see a lot of deformity. You see a lot of fish without eyes. You see a lot of fish with deformities in their spine. You see a lot of fish missing fins as a birth defect. And then you also see fish missing fins and parts because they've been attacked by the other salmon. Oh, God, Yeah, I mean, this is just blowing me away, Lorato. I mean, I've just jumped on and just done a quick, you know, like Chilean salmon. And I've just come to a website called seafoodwatch.org. And I'm just going to read what it says here. Chile is the world's second largest producer of farmed salmon, 31% of global production. And 50% of Chile's farm salmon is rated a void by Seafood Watch. <laughs> Importantly, Chile is the largest exporter of farm salmon to the U.S. The U.S. gets half of its salmon from Chile. So just for everyone listening, the top producer is Norway, producing 49%. Chile, 31%. United Kingdom, 6%. Canada, 5%. 4A Islands is 3%. But most importantly out of this, and, and, and we'll put this in the show notes, is more than half of the the salmon coming out of Chile is saying aboard because of bacteria, because of all the things that that obviously Loratos is telling us. So, and, and and look, I don't know who's who's funding seafoodwatch.org. dot as you know, a lot a lot of people, you know, when money gets involved, as you, you said before, they pay politicians, they start non for profits. So I don't know the authenticity of this website, but it's certainly backing up everything that you're saying. Wow. Yeah. And there's so much to unpack of what you said. Like me and Jeremy just sitting back and listening and just sort of eyes Googling out of our brains. But like your first point around the movement of the fish, like you've got fish that I guess they're like captive dolphins. Like they're, they're, I'm guessing they're very sensitive individuals. They have their societies and social interactions. And it's, to be honest, it's almost ignorant to think that salmon wouldn't act like other sort of fish species in terms of their, you know, social hierarchies and their interactions and their communications, et cetera. But fundamentally, these are fish that travel hundreds and thousands of kilometers and to put them in a pen. In, in a confined space, it's only natural that they're going to have a whole bunch of issues in relation to uh, aggression. And it, it sounds weird to sort of say these sort of things when we talk about fish, but I'm guessing a lot of sort of depression, a heap of stress. I've heard of fish being in captivity in sort of agriculture farms like this, and, they, and, and they're seeing high rates of suicide. Is that a thing that you've sort of observed, these fish essentially losing the will to live and trying to kill themselves type thing? I saw a lot of fish jumping to surface on top of platforms. So I guess that could be interpreted as that. Just trying to get the hell out and no matter where they're jumping to. So you see, these, these pens, these cages, okay, they, they are they are a massive structure underwater. What you see on the surface is the tip of the iceberg. Underwater, there is different structures and most of it is comprised of weights to balance and keep the nets in place and wide open. And also to have an exterior net to protect the fish from sea lions and seals, orcas, and, and sometimes, well, whales will come past and sometimes they get trapped in, in these structures, you know, because you see from the surface 
an area of 20 cages. These 20 cages could be uh, 50 meters wide by 300, 4 meters long. The point is, part of the job was to go down and release sea lions that will get trapped in these nets, trying to eat the fish. And sometimes you will see fish trying to get close to the sea lion. And that was something that always made me wonder, because it's like, of course, if you're a fish, you see a sea lion, you swim away. A lot of fish will swim towards the sea lion. Oh, wow. And um, because of that, sometimes the sea lion will be tangled on these nets, and then we will have to go down and try to release these corpses. Quite sad sight to see such massive, imponent animals that they can swim so well underwater and you just have to go and cut the ropes, cut the nets that are holding them by the fins or by the neck. And you just see, see them sinking down. Sometimes we have 15-minute visibility. This is like underwater. As This is one of the most pristine places in the world. If I'm not wrong, is second in water purity after Lake Baikal in Russia. So the south of Chile, of Chile, the water is really clear. Sometimes you can see 50 meters long. And this means that releasing one of these bodies, these sea lion corpses, it was a few minutes to see them disappear into the depth. And those are the things that I don't forget. Like sometimes it's beautiful, three meter tall, massive, half a, half a ton animals, and you see them sinking lifeless. How does that affect you personally, Latara? Like obviously seeing the fish get killed and whatever is one thing, but seeing the, the iconic mammals, the large sea lions, etc., die What's that like? How does that affect you? Uh, my, my first time that I did that, I, I come up to the surface and cried because this was, these were animals that I was very afraid of before getting into commercial diving. And before getting into commercial diving, I was free diving. And when I was free diving, I started getting more curious of these mammals. They're so big. They're so heavy on land. They look so brutally aggressive sometimes. Yet in the water, they look so soft. And just so beautiful so I wanted to swim closer to them so the first time that I got to be as close as I wanted to one it was a corpse it was a dead one so that that marked me like I came out and I cried and uh, hidden because this is a rough job on a rough area done by tough people so they cannot see you cry like you get into trouble you get into trouble if somebody sees you crying but that was my experience and I was 20 years old, I was coming from from city living into one of the roughest areas of the country, and to be greeted with this, it was it was quite harsh. And and I mean, we will have to do this often, like very very often. In one occasion, we almost had to release a couple of whales that got trapped into these nets. And just the thought that we will see—I mean, for me, the thought that I would see whales like flapping and, and, and kicking and for their life and not be able to be untangled like that just that was already like a, a reason to panic underwater how do you untangle a whale or a sea lion that's caught in these nets or cages like a sea lion is quite complex because you have to be very careful that they don't bite you and as they are not used to deal with people, if you come close, they might take it as an aggression, which happened. Like a few divers were beaten by sea lions, and there is no, it's, it's not like a, the biting of a shark, let's say, or a large shark that could take a limb away, but they say it's still quite painful and it can break a few bones. These are really powerful animals. So you have to be very careful when, when releasing them that they don't bite you. 
but ones that you can cut a few ropes and then will they will cut the or, or get untangled on the last ones that are keeping them um, tangled and they will swim away very very fast like they won't turn back on you but a whale is like you just can wait for it and try to release a few ropes that might be on on them but at the end of the day it's not like you you can do 100% of the release it's like the animal has to find a way to release itself because otherwise the danger that you're putting yourself in is just too big it's just too much if, if a whale turns around and hits you with a tail or hits you with a flipper with a fin it will mean a few broken bones and a depth that can that can mean death and even if you're on surface and you have a few broken bones you're still five days away from civilization so yeah it was a bit of a problem but it was a constant thing that we had to do in salmon farms more than a few divers died because of that Mate, Lorato, this honestly sounds like the wild west, you know. <laughs> um, so, so you've come from the city, you, you're traveling five days down here. Am I correct in saying that the money was good? Like, why did you go down and do this? I mean, why are people attracted to this industry? You're obviously a free diver. You're, you, you obviously love the ocean. Obviously, the money that's on offer must be pretty attractive. Yeah, it was, it was pretty attractive compared to many other jobs that you could do with qualifications that you could consider similar. The money was big because the risk was big. But this job was most of, will most of the time be taken by people who were local to the area. I was a bit of an outsider and I was coming from the curiosity of being a freediver and wanting to become a commercial diver, not being able to pay for it, for the training, without going to the salmon farm. So that's what brought me to that, which was a really big contradiction. I was already vegetarian. I think I already started being vegan. I was vegetarian since 15 years old. So to go to there, it was completely against my morals, but it was pretty much like I didn't have a, a choice. All right. So, yeah, but I will go there and most of the people doing the job will be locals to the area. They will be seduced by the money, but also they will not have many other choices because when one salmon farm is going to open in one area, everybody will have to end up working for them. They establish a business in such a way that they will always have people coming into the business, no matter what, because they pay them good money and because pretty much it's the only jobs available in the area. Like before the salmon farms, there will be other ways to make a livelihood, but when the salmon farming settles in one area, then every job is turned into that. So whether you're a woman who cooks or has a little Airbnb, let's say, you will rent now only to the salmon farms. And like only salmon farm workers will come to stay there. If you have a little restaurant, they will come to eat there uh, and so on and so on. So economy, um, how do you say, like little towns that they have like their own economy system, they see all of this ravage by the salmon farm and turn into another employee for them. All right. So when kids grow up, they have no other vision than to become a commercial diver so they can go and work in the salmon farm. And it doesn't matter that your brother died in a salmon farm. It doesn't matter that your cousin died in a salmon farm because the money is just so good. And with the very little education that you have access to by living in these remote areas, just salmon farming that money and remaining in the area is too much of a good thing to reject it, you know. But 
the problem is that this end up killing a big amount of the of the people that become that that start doing these jobs. Like it's not rare that you will have a mate who died doing the job or a cousin or a brother. So yeah. Wow. Well, so so rates of death on these salmon farms they're they're actually quite high. Like I was I was going to get your sort of thoughts on the working conditions because I remember you talking about how. You nearly got stabbed, or some guys, one of the oh. other mm-hmm. staff, stabbed yeah. you, or something like that. Could yeah. you talk to the working conditions around that? Yeah, well, the working conditions. These are usually boats that are not built for the salmon farm industry purpose, but they are refurbished for it. So we are talking about really old, twenty to forty year old boats. A lot of rust, a lot of leaks, a lot of humidity inside the ship, inside the vessel living quarters really, really small because these are both designed for four to five people. And in the end, they end up putting 10 people, 12 people. And then you will, as a, as a diver, you will be part of a company that has several boats. You go on this boat and you travel to these locations where the salmon farm are installed. And when you get there, sometimes you get to stay on these floating houses in these floating bases next to the farms. But over there, that, that the space will be designed only for the people that are living there, the technicians, engineers, and veterinarians, and also the, the laboring hand, you know, that feed the fishes or do repairs in the surface. So this is a lot of people, again, on a really small space. And as you have to travel there, the cycles of war, let's say, is a, is a flying, fly out sort of work schedule. So you will be there for 30, 35, 40 days, and then you go home and rest. Okay. Oh, wow. That's a hell of a ship. A lot of people over there, as the job is so harsh and it's cold as well, and you don't see anyone else for a month, sometimes two months in a row, people are really reliant on, on habits such as smoking. So smoking is, is something so, so important in the job, which you will think is, is a bit strange because divers are a very important tool in your kit is your lungs. <laughs> people will get very anxious, so people will smoke a lot. A lot. And if by day 15 you run out of cigarettes, you don't have a corner shop to go and buy more cigarettes. So people will get super uh, aggressive. And it's cold and it's raining and sometimes you have to dive in three degree water and you have to go to the bottom of the expense and you're at 50 meters. You have, you see nothing but your hands. Sometimes we wear white gloves so we can see under, underwater in the dark. The thing is like you're covering corpses, you're covering fish corpses and you have to put them in a net, you have to deal with a counter ballast swinging underwater that could crash you between structures. There is a lot of stressful things that you bring to the surface and any, any minor argument in the surface uh, becomes really big really quickly. And for the job, as we deal with a lot of ropes, we are wearing two to three knives. Like I remember, I will have a knife on my leg, a knife on my arm and another knife as a backup on my waist. So people have a lot of, so people have a lot of knife fights. I went a bit long. That's staggering. That is unbelievable. Uh, stressed out individuals in dangerous work conditions, away from their family yes, for months on end, uh, uh, carrying three knives 
each type thing. It's just like dealing out with extremely stressed salmon. Yeah, um, that's the thing. The salmon attacks you as well. Like it's not rare to have bite marks on your wetsuit. We are wearing very thick wetsuits. Like here in Australia, I free dive with a three millimeter wetsuit. Sometimes with a one millimeter wetsuit. Back then in Chile, we will use thirteen to fifteen millimeter wetsuit. These are very thick. Uh, wow. wow! Wow! That's <laughs> that's crazy. The fish will bite you. You know the stress. The very stressed fish will will bite you, and sometimes you, you will come up like with little marks of salmon <laughs> bites on your wetsuit, and sometimes it hurt. <laughs> so you're trying to relax because the joy is stressful. You're trying to relax at 30, 50 meters deep, and you will get beaten <laughs> by a fish, and then by another, and then by another, and you know that as you come back to the surface. There is another 3,000, 40,000 fish circling above your head that might start biting you <laughs> as well. It's not, uh, sometimes you come up to the surface very angry. <laughs> That's my point. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Ocean Protect podcast. Episodes are released weekly and the next episode will feature part two of this chat. If you'd like to find out more about us and what we do, check us out at oceanprotect.com.au.